So um, we're going to be talking about brokenness today. Brokenness. The title of my message, in fact, is Broken Down to Built Up. Do you like that? Broken Down to Built Up. I was really looking at this passage. I thought I was going to go a completely different direction, and God really put this on my heart for you guys today. So there's somebody, maybe multiple somebodies, who need to hear this. Has anybody in here bro- broken a bone? Yeah, I remember um, when I was, I think it's sixth grade, middle school, we were playing football after church. <laughs> we were at football during church, and, and I was in sixth grade, so I'm running as fast as I can. I go up to catch a football, and uh, my pinky catches the football. <laughs> Breaks it right there, right? It was like really gnarly looking, sticking out. And like any kid that's, that their prefrontal cortex hasn't fully formed, I kept playing the game, right? And I finished the game. You have to, right? And I remember even talking to one of my buddies afterwards, and I was like, yeah, I think I broke my finger. It's just sticking out like this. He's like, well, I know how to, to find out if it's broken. I'm like, really, how? Whack! Karate chop. If it wasn't broken, it was broken then, okay? He did find out. So my dad took me to the emergency room, and I remember on the way to the emergency room, my dad was like, yeah, I actually broke my pinky when I was about your age. I was like, really? Yeah. He's like, yeah, when I went to the doctor, he just took a pen, put it in between my pinky and my ring finger, and put it back into place. I'm like, man, I'm glad medicine has come so far since those days, right? So when we get to the emergency room, find out it's broken, and the doctor takes out a pen, puts it between my pinky and my ring finger, puts it back into place. (laughs) Has anybody had a bone set like that? Okay. Maybe there is new technology, but he's like, no, that's what we got to do to put it right back into place. And in order for that broken bone to be set right, it almost had to be broken again, right? That's what has to happen sometimes. There's a whole process that is painful to go through to go from brokenness to restored, right? And it's that process that is so important that we're going to look at today. Because all of us will experience some kind of brokenness in our life. That we'll feel broken down. Maybe it's because of our own sin that leads us into failure. That we get caught, we get in trouble, we lose our jobs, we get fired, we go to prison. Or maybe we're realizing our entire life feels broken down. That we've made some decisions, we've been doing some stuff, and we're like, whoa, how did I get here? I'm broken. I'm hurt. Maybe it's something that happened to you. A disease, a sickness. Someone hurt in your life. Someone hurting you. And when these things happen, we can feel broken inside. But God doesn't want to leave us there. In fact, Jesus wants to take us from broken to built up. From broken to built up. And it's a process. It sometimes hurts. But he doesn't want us to stay there. I could have just stayed there and my, my finger would have healed, looking all gnarly for the rest of my life, right? Right? But that's no good. It had to go through that process that's difficult in order to be restored. So I want you to hear very clearly that Jesus wants to take you from broken to built up. If you're feeling broken right now, this message is particularly for you. If you're looking back into the past and you're like, wow, I experienced such a hardship and brokenness in my past, maybe this can give you some clarity of what Jesus was doing in your life. And others of you need to be prepared for that time in the future when you will be broken down. But whatever it is, this is going to be a good message for us today, from broken down to built up. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 22. We're actually going to look at two different sections. The primary one that we're going to look at is Luke 22, starting in verse 31, going to verse 34. That's going to be kind of the primary scripture that we're going to look at. If you have your Bibles, if you have your smartphone, get the YouVersion Bible app, find our Rice Church Denver, 
event, save the notes right in your app. But I want you to read this story about Peter in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 31. Simon, Simon. Remember, this was Peter's given name. Jesus changed his name. He called him Peter, which means the rock. Long before Dwayne Johnson, there was an original the rock. His name was Simon Peter. So Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. This is Jesus' final night with his disciples. They've just finished up the last summer. Judas has gone off to betray Jesus. This is the very end, Jesus' last 24 hours. And he looks straight Peter in the eye, and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But what's interesting, he talks to Simon, and he's directly looking at him because Peter was the leader. He was probably the oldest of the disciples. He would become the leader of the early church. He looks directly at him, and he says, Satan wants to sift all of you. So even though we're going to particularly look at Peter, this is for all of us, for all disciples, because Satan wants to destroy us. And that's our first point today. we got three points. And the first one is that Satan wants to break you, but God wants to build you. Got that? Satan wants to break you, but God wants to build you. It's interesting here. Jesus knows this conversation has happened between Satan and God. Satan says, I want to take these disciples, these 12 guys that you've raised up, Jesus, and I want to just destroy them. I want to break them down. I want to sift them as wheat. I want to take like the sieve and you put the wheat in there and you shake it out and you shake it out and you shake it out to get rid of all the chaff and only that remains is what's good. What Satan is saying, I want to see if they have anything left. Or is there anything, any character, any heart, any backbone? Because once they go through the tough thing, that's when you find out who's tough. It's in the trial that you discern if someone has character. That's the crucible, really. Everything else burns off, gets melted off. And if there's a good core, you can make it through. This is exactly what Satan had done. Yes, Satan. Satan is real, in case you didn't know that. The accuser, the enemy of God and his people, and back in the story of Job at the very beginning, Job is this incredibly upright religious man. He, he follows God in everything. He has an incredible family. He's rich. He's generous. And Satan's like, can I sift him? I want to break him down. And God gives him permission. Okay? And Satan goes and destroys everything Job has. Kills Job's kids. Kills all of Job's animals, which was the wealth in those days. Destroys his homes so that he's left with nothing. Satan is like, nah, let's see if he has anything inside his heart that's good. After everything is taken away from him. And Job praises God. What? So Satan's like, ah! He goes back to God. The reason why he's still praising you is because he still has his physical body. If he had physical torment, suffering, then he'll renounce you and walk away from the faith. So God says, okay, now you can hurt his physical body. And Satan goes back and causes physical pain, put boils all over Job's body. So he just, he's sitting there in the desert, in the hot sun, and, and he's just in pain, insufferable pain. And he's sitting there. Even his wife is like, God is awful. Curse God and die. That's what she tells her husband. He's got no one. Even his wife, his helper is like, you got to turn on God. And Job says, no, could I accept good things from the Lord and not bad? May the Lord, name of the Lord be praised. 
See, Satan does this. When people have faith, when they're stepping out in righteousness and doing good and being generous and showing kindness to others and loving their neighbors as themselves like Job was doing, like the disciples were doing, Satan sees a target on your back. He wants to take you out. We're getting behind the curtain into this spiritual realm that there is an enemy and he is lurking. Peter would write a letter later to the church. He said, guys, I want you to be aware. This is what he says in the end of his first letter. He said, your enemy, the devil, Satan, prowls like a lion looking for someone to devour. He's just waiting. And what, a, what does a lion do? He sees the herd, and he waits for the weak one, the young one, to get away from the herd. He looks for those people who have left the flock, who said, ah, I don't really need to go to church. Things are going fine for me. I'm doing all right. I don't need to show up to my community group this week. I'm busy. Satan's like, oh, good. He's prowling. He's looking for people to devour, looking for people to sift like wheat. We'll see if they have anything good. If I tempt them away into this sin, we'll see if they have anything left. Satan wants to break you. I want you guys to understand this. Some of you are like, Satan isn't real. Oh, he's real. <laughs> Kaiser Soze, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. Okay? Satan is glad that you don't think he's real. <laughs> he's laughing. He wants to destroy you. Your enemy is there. But let me tell you some good news. Even though Satan wants to destroy you, God wants to build you up. Look at this with me um, in verse 32. Right after Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. In verse 32, he says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I prayed for you, Simon. I prayed for you. Jesus is praying for Peter by name. This is an amazing thing. I want to build you up. I want you to make it through this. It's going to happen. But I don't want you to stay broken. I want to build you. Jesus is giving us the heart of God here, his heart, to build us up and not break us down. So even though the enemy is on the loose looking for people to devour, God wants to build you up. Jesus is praying for you. Dave, how would you like to know if Jesus is praying for you by name? It'd be amazing, right? Let me show you something. I want to show you a couple scriptures. John 17, 20. This is Jesus. I pray not only for those followers, these followers, talking about his 12 disciples, but also for those who will believe in me because of their teaching. Jesus prayed for you in his life here on earth. He prayed for you. He prayed for you, Savannah. He prayed for you, Nick. And what's amazing is that it was not just his time on earth. Jesus still is praying for you. I want to show you this in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, And so Jesus is able now and forever to save from the punishment of sin all who come to God through him because he lives forever to pray for them. He lives forever. That's Jesus' job now. He sits at the right hand of the throne of God, and he's praying for you. He's interceding for you. I think he's praying by name. He sees Satan lurking, prowling, wanting to destroy you, and he's praying for you because he wants to build you up. This is God's heart here. This is Jesus' heart. He wants to build you through this. So I want you to know that. And I also just want to dispel a myth here. There's a lot of people that think that there's like this cosmic battle and like who knows who's going to win, good or evil. It's yin and yang. Will, will the light side win or the dark side? Which side of the force will win, right? 
That's what we think, that they're like these equal powers going back and forth and going back and forth. People think of that. That is not Christianity. That's not. There's, there's a philosophy called dualism. There's some other religions believed it, but not Christianity. Because in Christianity, we know who's going to win. We know who is more powerful. We have read the end of the story, and guess what? It's not Satan. Jesus takes him and throws him into the lake of fire forever. Because of all the evil that he's done, breaking people down. He'll be tortured forever for that. Locked up. Jesus wins. So we know that it's not this cosmic battle that, ooh, who's going to win? No, no, no. We already know. From the very beginning, God knew Satan would be defeated. The serpent's head would be crushed on by the seed of the woman. That's Genesis 3.15. Jesus would come and win. So I want you to know that, yes, you need to be aware. Satan wants to break you down. But God wants to build you up. And what's amazing, and here's our second point, is that it's through those same things. Look at this. Through your brokenness, you are built up. It's actually through your brokenness. As Satan is trying to sift you, that all this stuff is getting thrown off, all the chaff is getting blown away by the wind, and being sifted, only the good stuff is left. It's your character. It's what God is doing to build you in that brokenness. This is an interesting part. Right after uh, Peter was like, Jesus, or, or Jesus tells Peter, like, hey, Satan's coming after you. Satan, the accuser. Verse 33, but Peter replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. I'll do anything for you. I'm not going to turn away. But then Jesus responds in verse 34. I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. Peter is what here? He's pretty prideful, isn't he? He's pretty arrogant. He's sure of himself. And I think that's why later in the scriptures it says, be careful if you think you are standing firm, lest you fall. Just when you think you're doing great, Peter has made it to the end, three years serving Jesus, ministering, preaching, casting out demons, doing all sorts of miracles. Wow, we're on top of the world, Jesus. We came into Jerusalem. People are listening to you preach. Nobody can stop us. I will be by your side no matter what happens. But Jesus knows, no, you're going to get broken. But it's actually in that brokenness then you're going to be built up. Jesus knew that's what was going to happen. He knew what would be happening to Peter, and it was in that moment that Peter actually had to be humbled before he could be their leader. Isn't that what Dr. Robin Hall talked about last week? For those of you who missed that message, go back and listen to it. It was awesome. Dr. Robin Hall, and he, he said, he's like, the, the way to leadership is not the way of the world, is it? It's the way of humility. That's the path of Jesus. And Jesus sees Peter. He knows he's going to be the rock on which the entire church is going to be built, the leader of the early church. Peter is going to be an incredible preacher, okay? I don't know if you guys know this, but there's 120 Christians on the first day, on the day of Pentecost. Peter goes out to preach, preaches one message, boom, first megachurch, 3,000 people. Did you guys know that happened? There was one day when the church was not a megachurch. <laughs> but because of Peter's preaching, that God worked through him, 3,000 people got saved in one day. That's incredible. But before Peter could be that leader standing up in front of everyone else, he had to be brought low. He had to be humbled, or else it would have all been about him. There's this interesting um, thing in psychology called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Anybody heard of it? 
It's, it's you know, termed in 1999, discovered probably in the Bible, huh? by God. But in 1999, these two researchers at Cornell University, they, they noticed that people who have very limited skills and knowledge are sometimes the most arrogant about their skills and knowledge. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. What they found statistically is people that are in the bottom 12th percentage, percentile, okay, so only 11% of people are worse than you at a skill or a knowledge. They actually thought of themselves in the top 62% or above. That's why everybody thinks they're above average, right? Oh, yeah, I'm above, but nobody, not everybody's above average, let me tell you the truth. It's the Dunning-Kruger effect. If you just have a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of skills, you think you're the best, the smartest. That's why a lot of problems happen in our world, okay? And that's what's going on with Peter. He's got some knowledge now. He's got some skills, but he thinks he's, I can go, I can face Satan himself. Yeah, I'll kick that devil in the face. And Jesus is like, no, you're going to get sifted. You're going to be broken down, Peter. You're going to deny me, your friend, three times. But it's in that brokenness, in that humbling, that God is actually doing his biggest work in Peter's life. It's his biggest work. And, and this is the amazing thing, you know. Peter failed that night. We're not going to read the verses, but if you jump down to verse 54, you, you read about how when Jesus was arrested, they take him and they take him to the high priest's house, and the disciples are kind of like scattering. But Peter kind of follows at a distance. Follows at a distance, going with Jesus to the high priest's house where he's going to be put on trial first before he's handed over to the governor. And Peter is there in the courtyard. And in this courtyard, um, there were some other people waiting, and they, they started a fire just to kind of keep themselves warm there in the spring night, waiting. And um, they're all looking around and talking, and um, this little girl, this servant girl, looks up at Peter, and she says, Oh, you're with Jesus, right? Peter's like, no, I don't, I don't, I'm not with that. I don't know that guy. I'm not with him. And it says a little while later, there's another guy there who's like, oh, hey, aren't you one of those people with Jesus? One of his followers? And Peter again was like, no, that, not me. I, I don't know him. And it says an hour later, a third person looks at him and says, hey, you're one of those Galileans. You could tell because of his accent. You must be with Jesus, the other Galilean. Peter a third time says, no, I don't know him. Just like Jesus predicted. He said he would deny him three times before the rooster crows. Um, Peter was pretty cocky until the cockadoodle-doo, right? Did you like that one? No, <laughs> I got some head shaking. But then he hears that rooster crow. Peter does. And what's amazing, it, it, this occurs in all the Gospels, but it's only here in Luke that Luke tells us this interesting detail. That right when Peter hears the rooster crows, Jesus looks at him. It's the only Gospel that tells that detail. I, I don't know if it's like Jesus was like in the house still and he looks out a window like directly at Peter, or if he was being led through the courtyard somewhere. But either way, Jesus happens to be there right at the moment when the rooster crows. And it says that Peter remembers in that moment as Jesus is staring him in the eyes. 
what Jesus had said. Peter remembers that this failure was predicted. And he's like, no way, I'm, I'm not going to do it. But then he did. He failed at the moment his friend needed him the most. Now, a lot of us think about sin kind of like abstractly, faith abstractly, but Jesus in the scriptures is called our friend. We are friends, no longer disciples, no longer just disciples. We're his friends. So when we sin against Jesus, when we struggle in unbelief, which happens in our brokenness, we are sinning against a friend. Yeah. That's what Peter felt in that moment. Have you ever let down a friend big time? Or had a friend let you down? These are the feelings going on in that night, in that one moment of eye contact. Peter is broken. He is humbled. He is brought to his lowest point of failure. But it's actually in that moment that God was doing the biggest work in, in Peter's life. Because he's like, this is how character is built. I got a question. Who in here has ever bought jeans with holes in them? No? You made those. You just made those yourself, just like. Anybody bought? Okay. Why do you buy jeans with holes in them? It's the style. It looks good, right? Why do we buy really old houses? They got character, right? They got good bones. We can do something with that. This is why we buy furniture that has the distressed look, even though it's brand new, right? I remember one of my buddies when he got his baseball glove. The moment he got it, he threw it on the ground, started stomping on it, got his bike and rode over it. I'm like, what are you doing? Why, why did he do that with his new baseball glove? You got to break it in or else it's not worth anything. It's too stiff, not good. There's value that's added when things are broken. And that's what God is doing in our brokenness. What God was doing in Peter's brokenness. He's like, yeah, you're going down. You're going to fail majorly three times, but it's going to do something good. Do you know what's amazing? That this story is in the Bible. Peter includes every single one of his boneheaded comments in God's word. Nobody would have known what happened that night, except Peter told people his story. That's amazing. Peter wanted everyone to know, I am the greatest failure in the church, as he stood up as the highest leader. And it's because he had been the failure that he was allowed to be the leader. He had been humbled so God could bring him up. He had been broken down so Jesus could build him up. Do you see that? He knew it. He's like, why would I hide this stuff? Because there's going to be people that come after me that will sin, that will fail, that will give up in faith, that will wander away from the church. Satan will take them down, and they will feel like, I am too broken down. There's no way God could use me. And you know what? He can. Because Jesus used Peter. And if you use Peter, he can use you. See, while you're being broken down, that is actually when God is building you up the most. He's building up the most. And that leads us to our third point. Leads us to our third point. Through your brokenness, you can build up others. There's a purpose, and it's not just for you and what God is doing in your life. That's good stuff. You're those cool, distressed jeans with holes in them now. Looking good. 
But it's more than just looking good. Now you can help other people. You can serve other people. You can build them up. Did you notice? I want you to look back in verse 32. When Jesus says, I'm praying for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, because you're going to fail, and then you're going to have to turn back, another way of saying repent, when you've come back to me, what? Strengthen your brothers. There's purpose in your pain. I want you to strengthen everybody else. Everybody's going to be sifted like wheat. They all abandoned Jesus, right? All the disciples ran away. But he says to Peter in particular, I want you to be the one to strengthen them, to strengthen many. This is what Jesus was foretelling. He's like, I will build my church. That's what he said in Matthew 16. On you, Peter, on the rock, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. I'm building on you, Peter, because you will be broken lower than anyone else. To be remembered for all time as the greatest failure in church history. For my glory. Because when we are broken, we can then build up others. Did you know your greatest ministry will come out of your greatest pain? It's true. The farther you have fallen, the easier it is to help other people. You will not be judgmental and self-righteous when people fall into sin. You'll be like, come back, I love you. I was there too. And God restored me. You'll see a marriage that was broken and they're about to get to divorce and you're like, I went through a divorce. I went to the lowest point. But let me tell you, I wish I hadn't. I, I messed up. I wish I could go back and do this and this and this. And I hope that you guys won't make the same mistake that I did. You'll be able to build up other marriages because of what you have gone through. When we are broken, it allows us actually to build others up through our suffering, through our struggle. God is doing a work in us. 2 Corinthians 1.4 tells us this. It says that God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. When you're low, and God in his grace helps you. He loves you. Jesus prays for you and brings you up. He restores you, gives you complete grace and mercy for whatever you've done, and he brings you through it. Then you have received that. Now you can pass it on to other people. You can show compassion. You can show kindness and love and mercy just as Jesus showed mercy to you. That is an amazing thing. Don't want you guys to miss this. When you're broken, that's what... God is going to use so that you can build up others. Your greatest ministry will come out of your greatest hurt. I know somebody needs to hear that today. And I really want you to hear this story from Lauren Murphy, a new young lady in her church. So let's hear some of Lauren's story about this. So my name is Lauren Murphy. I'm 28 years old, and my husband and I have been going to Arise for about two months. I was diagnosed with um, a severe case of Lyme disease when I was nine years old, and it was extremely debilitating. Um, and I was, I had arthritis, I was like an old lady, and um, it was really hard. And then when I was 18, I moved um, to Panama and Mexico to do missions down there, and that's when. Um, the Lyme disease became extremely debilitating. Um, it was hard to walk, to sit, um, just to do basic things. And so um, I moved back home in Tennessee where I lived and 
really that was when the Lord um, just started taking me on this journey. Um, and so for the last 10 years, um, he's taken me to many different places around the world and um, used so many different people around the world um, to, sh to show me different lessons and show me um, just more of his heart. And um, Lyme still affects me immensely every day, um, but the work and the things that God has done through the suffering has been miraculous. And, you know, sometimes you feel like there's something you're going through secretly that nobody really knows about. And that's kind of how Lyme has felt for me over the last decade. Um, and so sharing my story through my book that I recently um, published has been extremely healing for me um, just to be able to help other people. Um, and the reason why I wrote it is because I just wanted to shed light on um, chronic illness and on um, invisible struggles. You know, I was waiting for a, just a grand finale um, before I published my book, some sort of like, okay, I'm fully healed or I fully arrived. And I realized that it really was never about arriving, but about becoming. I wrote the book for people who are silently suffering and don't have any answers and don't know where to turn. Um, I wrote the book to to show people that Jesus is in the suffering, that um, there is purpose in the suffering, that Jesus has not forgotten them in their suffering. You know, personally, there have been seasons where I felt extremely taken care of and provided for, like God has just blown my socks off and I've been provided for abundantly through so many different people. Um, and then there have been other seasons where I felt extremely lonely and abandoned and like God what are you doing and I just am reminded that he throughout this entire journey he's never left me and he's never forsaken me and he's taking care of me through all the ups and downs and I wouldn't trade my story for anything all right thank you Lauren she isn't here today because she's feeling sick, um, so we can be praying for Lauren. Her book is on sale. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, we got a copy of it. Uh, Silent Suffering is the name of that book, Silent Suffering. But, but I love Lauren's story because she is taking her deepest hurt and using it to build others up, isn't she? She wrote a book to tell her story, to help others, and, and I just love how she is doing that because that's what God wants to do with each one of us. No matter what our suffering is, no matter what our hurt is, what our background, what our failure is. We got fired. We were in prison. We did that thing. We, we messed up. We cheated. And God sees that, and he's like, that's okay. I love you. Because Jesus knew exactly what Peter was going to do. He told him, you're going to deny me three times in my hour of need. He looked him in the eye right after he did it, and he still went up on the cross to die for Peter's sin. And Peter was distraught. It says that after he denied Jesus, he went away and wept bitterly. Wept bitterly. He's sad. He's upset at himself, at the situation, about what happened to his best friend. And on Friday night, I'm sure he just wept. On Saturday, he probably ran out of tears. Couldn't cry anymore. And on Sunday, when the women came to him and said, the tomb is empty, 
He didn't know what to do, but he ran there. He found that the tomb was empty, which we're going to be celebrating pretty soon. That Jesus had risen from the dead, and Jesus came to Peter himself to show that he had risen from the dead. And not only that, he shared another meal with Peter before he ascended to heaven. Did you know this? In John chapter 21, it tells us that Jesus had breakfast with Peter. And he looked him in the face again. And he said, Simon, Simon Peter, feed my sheep. Peter was the leader. Okay, yeah, I can, I can feed the sheep. Of course. Jesus looked at him a second time. Simon Peter, feed my sheep. Peter's like, of course, of course I'll do it. And then a third time Jesus said, Simon Peter, feed my sheep. And in that moment, Peter realized why Jesus was doing that. He started to get emotional. Jesus, why? But the reason why Jesus had asked him three times is because Peter had denied him three times. And Jesus had to restore him three times for his three failures. And I think if Peter had denied him five times or ten, Jesus would have asked ten times, right? He would have kept asking because he wanted to restore and forgive every single sin that had happened. Every single moment of brokenness he wanted to restore. He wanted to build Peter up. And that's good news because some of you have sinned way more than three times. You're like, I got 120 at least. Well, Jesus has 120 forgivenesses for you. And a million more beside you could keep messing up. You could keep falling down. You could keep failing. You could keep seeing. And Jesus will continue to pray for you, to mediate for you, and always offer forgiveness because he died on the cross once for all for you. He was broken so you could be built up. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's the good news for some of you here that are broken right now. So if you're feeling a brokenness in this moment, feeling a sin, feeling a failure, doubting God, and you're like, I I've fallen away. If you're online because you can't even be here in person, just show your face. Jesus loves you, and he offers forgiveness right now. So I want everybody to close their eyes right now. And if you're here with eyes closed, and you're like, I feel broken. I have something going on. Maybe I've been silently suffering. Maybe I've failed. I don't care what it is. If this message has spoken to you, I want you to slip your hand into the air so I can just pray for you. Lord God, I pray for all these people here who are struggling, who are suffering, who are broken. Lord, I pray a blessing on them that they would feel restoration today in this moment, those online. Lord God, would they feel your love and your touch and your tenderness today? Would you lift them up? Would you help them begin to see how you are building them, creating them to be leaders, to be servants and to minister to others through the wounds they have received because you are also the one who gives them the comfort they need to comfort others. Bless them, Lord God. Now with eyes closed, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, but you need to today, if you need to make Jesus your Lord and Savior and accept his gift of forgiveness for the first time, I want to give you guys a simple prayer that you can accept that forgiveness. So everybody's eyes are still closed and I want you to repeat this prayer after me and what we're going to do is if you're already a follower of Jesus, say this prayer out loud to give courage to somebody who needs to pray it for the first time. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Forgive me. Save me. Lift me up. Build me up. In faith, I declare, Jesus is Lord. I accept your gift of eternal life. I receive your spirit. Help me to follow you and build up others for the rest of my life. 
Now with eyes still closed, if you made that declaration of faith today, if you prayed to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and receive your forgiveness, I wanna see your hand in the air on the count of three. One, two, three. Can you put your hand in the air? I wanna see that. If you're online, go to risedenver.com. Okay, let's celebrate with those who are making that decision. Can we, can we give them a round of applause? Lord God, we celebrate with the angels. We celebrate with those in heaven because you are rejoicing over the one sinner who repents, Lord God. We're thankful for that. Lord God, I pray that you build up that person to a higher place than they ever thought they could go be through you and your mercy. And Lord God, now all of us turn in our brokenness and our humility, declaring that you are Lord, you are King. And with our arms wide open, we receive your mercy and we declare that you are God. Amen. Would you please stand? as we sing this last song. If you are here and you need prayer for anything, anything at all, um, we have our prayer team available in the back right over here during this last song. So go right now, get some prayer. We love you. We want to pray for you because Jesus is praying for you. Okay, let's um, sing this song together. And, and James, thank you so much for leading us today. We got a, a guest worship leader. Thank you, James. You're doing awesome.